Hello and welcome to the Theology of Work podcast. This episode features the first talk of a five-part series on faith and work by Andy Mills. Andy Mills is the former CEO of the Thompson Financial and Professional Publishing Unit of the Thompson Corporation, and he currently serves as the co-chairman of the Theology of Work project. The Theology of Work project exists to provide a biblical perspective on faith and work. Find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at TheoWorkProject, and visit us at our home on the web, theologyofwork.org. Here's Andy Mills. I remember about uh, seven or eight years ago, I was giving my testimony to a uh, large audience, and I was pouring my heart out and revealing everything about myself. It was just, it was ugly. And at the end of it, I kind of said, well, you know, that's, that's God's story in my life. And someone came rushing up to me, and I thought, well, this is going to be an opportunity to interact about their life. And they rushed up to me and said, I spent the whole talk trying to figure out where do you come from? Hadn't heard what I said at all. They were spending all their time trying to figure out where I'd come from. So I'm going to explain my accent. I was born, grew up in the northeast of England, spent a bunch of time in London, and since 19... 19- 75, I was two years in New York, and then the rest of my time in Boston. So people say, oh yeah, that's the Boston accent. I say, yeah, it's the original Boston accent. So don't, uh, so don't spend any more time wondering where I came from. Um, I'd like this to be a kind of an interactive session, and, uh, and I realize that I'm sort of unpopular to say, let's talk about work on vacation, because how many people want to think about work on vacation? Exactly. So what on earth are you doing here? Um, But I appreciate you being here, uh, and I think it's a very important topic. Frankly, it's one that is getting increasing attention uh, in Christian circles. Um, The uh, Cape Town Conference of the Lausanne uh, Movement uh, two years ago in Cape Town, 2010, three years ago now in Cape Town, they came away from that conference with an understanding that the most important thing for Christian communities and Christian evangelism is now the workplace. Uh, It is the most important place that I think that Christians can impact the world, can impact the world for Christ, both in terms of the way we work and the way we express Jesus Christ to people in the workplace. Uh, And it's frankly been a part of the world that is in large part being overlooked. Um, How many of you go to church on a Sunday morning to hear a sermon on work? Not many, and there aren't many given. And one of the, I think it's one of the big gaps that we have in the church, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. So it's my privilege to, uh, to talk about work this week. So let me start by saying, if that's what we're going to talk about, um, what is work? What is work? Anybody want to shout out some answers? What, when you think of work, what do you think of? Way to earn some money. Way to earn some money. Good. Toil. Toil. Okay, there's a good Genesis 3 view of work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Paul toiled, we toil. Absolutely, toil. So let's put a few of these things down here. So for those of you in the background, you have your binoculars you're going to need. So, I, so one of the ways is to think about money. One of the things that we think about work is we think about work. What else do we think about? Stewardship. Stewardship. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about that. I don't know why I'm writing this up here because my writing is so bad. I'm sure no one can really understand. Other things. Yes, sir? Expression of one's personality in the way God created you. Okay, it's an expressive form of being human, right? Yeah, other thoughts? 
Providing service, okay, so providing services. Someone said it was a mission field. What else, when you go to work? What if, providing for your family, absolutely. The Bible's very clear about that, providing. So it's a matter of providing. Other things that we think about work. Keeping your wife happy. Keeping your wife happy. Let me put that at the top. <laughs> wife happy. Okay, I think, we're, I think we're done with work. I think we can go home. Let's go get another sticky bun. Let's keep our wife happy. Yes, ma'am. It structures your day. Ah, oh, it's your calling. Okay, we're getting, coming up with some good words here. Calling. It's stressful. It's a profession. Well, you guys are coming thick and fast here now. Profession. An avocation. Well, we could go on. We... A passion. Okay, let's put that in the top. You can see as we, we, can, we could shout out many, many more words. I'm sure I could probably spend the whole hour with you just shouting out words. By the way, if you're ever talking, that's a very easy way not to prepare and just have people <laughs> shout the words out for you. But I've actually got something to say to you today, which hopefully you'll find useful. But as we begin to think about work, I mean, as you look at those things in there, there's a whole complexity from on the one hand, it's sort of stressful and it's strain and it's toil and it's hardship to sort of it's um, utilitarian. It provides money, it keeps my wife happy, it keep, provides, for, uh, provides for my family, all the way to a broader kind of it's a calling, it's a passion, it's a way I express myself, it's a mission. I, I would suggest to you that's a pretty wide range of things to think about for a single thing to think about. You know, it's, that's a lot of things that work accomplishes. And so what we do in five hours of seminars is to try and get ourselves around all of that. It's pretty much an impossible task, but nothing is impossible with God, so we're going to go with that. And by the way, um, a recent study done in, New, in, in uh, the United States, when asking people their feelings towards work, the number one and number two answers were meaningless and, uh, and unfulfilling. Would you care to hazard a guess what percentage of your American fellow citizens feel that work is unfulfilling and meaningless? I heard 80, I heard 60, let's take the average, 70%. 70% of people working basically say, I don't like it, in one form or another. And by the way, it's not clear to me that as Christians that we're necessarily a lot different than that sometimes, right? And so we've got all this, we've got this incredible thing called work, but at the same time we find that about 70% of us and our fellow citizens find it lacking in meaning. And what, what, is, what is it all about? And, and something that for many people, they'll be much more heavily on the toil side of things than they are on the passion and the mission side of things. And I think that's a problem. So what I, you know, we spend so much time at it also uh, that I think we've got to get it right. And by the way, let me just define work for us for a minute because I don't want us to go away thinking, well, the only thing I'm t he's talking about is what I do from 9 to 5 or 8.30 to 5.30 or 6 to 8 or whatever the hours you work for pay. Of course, that is work, but I want to 
I want to broaden the the definition a little bit of work because I think in terms of the Bible that the definition of work is a little harder. And I think it's what I would say here, it's the way we exert ourselves either physically or mentally in order to do, make, or accomplish something. So work is the way we exert ourselves either physically or mentally in order that we accomplish something or do something or create or produce something. So it's not just in the workplace, it's not just what we call the workplace, but is being a mom at home work? There's a whole bunch of ladies here nodding, right? It's probably some of the hardest work. Is working, if you work uh, nine to five at something and then you go on and you do something in the evening for a not-for-profit, is that work? Yeah, it's exerting yourself either mentally or physically in order to accomplish something. And so what I want to do is, and it doesn't matter, frankly, whether you're five years old, because your work at that point is probably a lot about learning and about school. It doesn't matter whether you're 25 years old, because you're, you're, you know, you're accelerating into your career. It doesn't matter whether you're 65 or 85 years old. You are still working. You're still here. You still have an ability to exert yourself physically or mentally to accomplish something. And uh, I don't count playing golf in Florida as exerting yourself physically or mentally in, other words, in order to accomplish something. There's room for that, but only a small amount of room for that. That's my prejudice on that particular thing. I'm a lousy golfer, too. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. I, re- I remember clearly as a newly minted graduate in London... Um, I won't tell you how long ago, but some years ago. Um, my compensation was 35 pounds a week. And I had to work in the middle of London. I couldn't afford to rent a place to live, so I lived with my parents. Sound familiar? And um, so I, I lived with my parents, and I had about a one-and-a-half-hour commute, drive, walk, take the tube up to London and walk, and this, that, and the other. And I was about two weeks into my career, and just facing this, you know, close to four-hour commute every day. And I remember as clearly as a bell, I had this, this sort of, this view of, of life. I said, if I'm going to do this for 40-plus years, I better like it. And, you know, one of the things I will say is in my career, and that's not everybody's experience, is I've had the great fortune of being able to enjoy it. That doesn't mean it's been en- always enjoyable. doesn't necessarily mean it's been easy or comfortable but I've been able to enjoy my work over this period of time. Let me give you a little bit of my background, um, just so that you know uh, a a little bit of my background. I I grew up in England. Uh, My dad, I grew up in a non-Christian home, although we went to church, but you did that in England in the 50s. Uh, My dad was a businessman, and I watched him um, start basically as an engineering apprentice and then eventually became a CEO in England of one of the top engineering companies in, in England. And so what I was able to do as a kid is to see, you know, when Dad had a start-off job and he didn't get paid very much, we kind of rented this little house and we had a bicycle. You know, when he got the next job, uh, we, we actually were able to buy a little house and my dad got a car. And then he got his bigger job and we got a bigger house and two cars. And I saw that progression pretty much clearly, one-to-one progression. The harder you work, the more you earn. As you earn things, you're able to buy things. It's more comfortable for everybody, and that's what was at the time the British dream. It's the American dream, and that's what a lot of people think of. And so that was my whole vision of work, something to apply myself to, something that I can achieve, something that if I work hard, I'll be able to get, receive, 
and then I'll be able to spend what I receive and be able to look after my family and move forward, and, and, and that's the way I thought about work. And it was, it was with that as the background that I set off. I set off to work hard, to do all the things I could, and, and move through that. And uh, in 1975, came to New York, moved by my English company, eventually went to the Harvard Business School for, for graduate work and came out and, and did consulting and then started my own company, which was eventually bought by the Thompson Corporation and achieved the goals that I'd set for myself. Unfortunately, along the way, or fortunately along the way, um, God intervened in ways that only God can intervene when I was in my mid-30s, already a CEO of a company. And uh, through a, a story that I don't have time to tell this morning, but, but we'd be happy to uh, if anyone wants to buy me a cup of tea, uh, my beverage of choice. Um, uh, I came to know the Lord uh, as a CEO of a company. And I have to say it was an incredible shock because all of a sudden my first my first question to myself is, okay, now that I'm a Christian, what difference does that make with my work? Now, my wife, who's sitting in the second row there, would much prefer that the first thing that God put on my mind was, okay, now you're a Christian, how are you a better husband? Or how are you a better father? But that's not actually what God spoke about. He said, and it was a very clear leading, I I want you to think about work. Uh, and what, what does it mean being a Christian in the workplace? And so from that moment, I've actually read, and now we're going back to the late 80s, uh, 25 years this year, I've always read the Bible from that point forward with the lens of work. And it's an interesting way to read a Bible because frankly, and we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, a lot of the scripture around work is buried, it's hidden, it's just everywhere throughout the scripture. And I think it's unless you take it seriously and say, does this, does this scripture have something to say about work? And if you really look into it and, and, and read it that way, I think you'll find magnificent understanding uh, as you spend all these hours working. So that's a little bit about my background. As a result of all this, I got very much involved in marketplace ministries, um, eventually with an organization called the Marketplace Network in Boston. Uh, which then spawned a thing called the Theology of Work Project. And I've been working at that now for the last five years. Haddon Robinson and I are co-chair. We have theologians and uh, practitioners from around the world that have spent basically the last five years looking at every book of Scripture saying, what does this say about work? And I will give you a demonstration of our website for a few minutes at the end on Friday. Uh, But if you go to theologyofwork.org, you will see over 500 articles on work. We've got about 90% of the, 80% of the Bible up and running. The rest of it will be up by the first quarter of 2014. It's a phenomenal resource. I recommend it to you. So with that as background, let's come back to my uh, becoming a Christian and all of a sudden being asked this question. So what does it mean about work? How do you think about work differently? Well, I started um, talking to people who were... uh, in positions of responsibility in corporations and asking them as Christians, how does being a Christian impact you? What do you do differently? How do you think about working as a Christian? And it's very interesting. I really got two answers back. One answer was we need to work with integrity. And the second answer is anytime I get a chance to talk about Jesus, I should talk about Jesus. And I would say to you, both of those are excellent, right? Uh, But I think the question I would ask is necessary, I mean, necessary, but is that sufficient? In other words, is that all there is? It's working with integrity 
and having a chance to talk about Jesus. In fact, I'll, I talk to a number of people in the workplace who say the only point for me to go to work is so I have an opportunity to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus. And I applaud that. But one of the questions is, is that the only reason to go to work? And it's interesting, uh, what I found is, uh, um, I then started reading some books. And uh, the books I found on work and faith were not particularly meaningful for the simple reason, mostly what they were was was an individual's account of their particular walk. But they didn't really talk about principles of work. They didn't really say, what does the Bible say about work? They just said, this was my job, this is how I did it, and this is how God helped me through that. They're wonderful. They're like, they're like missionary biographies, if you will. It's exactly what they are. They're people in the marketplace in that mission field. They're like missionary biographies. But they don't really get to the point of missions or the point of work. And what I've found among Christians in particular, the workplace, having interviewed and spent a lot of time with many, many over years doing a lot of mentoring, is I find that most Christians are in what I call a sort of a Christian malaise in the workplace. They don't really get why they're at work. They know there's something that God has for them, but they're not sure what it is. And so what you find is a sort of a continuum, typically, which which has on the one hand, it has what I call utilitarianism. Big fancy word, but all it means is I'm there to get something out of it. In other words, I go to work so that I can earn money. That was one of our answers, right? I go to work so that I can earn money so that I can do something that I really want to do with the money that I make. So in other words, I have just a utilitarian view of it. It, It's there to provide something for me that I'm then going to use. The other side, and I find much more prevalent uh, in America, is idolatrous. Work is an idol. In fact, when men gather, they ask each other two questions. What's your name and what do you do? And that answer to the second one is far more important than the answer to the first one. Who cares? I can't remember most people's names, but I do remember what they do, right? And what you find is that creates the persona and that creates the personal view that you have of that person. I'm a CEO of a major corporation. I'm a janitor at McDonald's. You think about those two people very differently. And by the way, it's not just we think about it, but we think about ourselves that way. I had the good fortune to be fired. Uh, that may sound very strange, but I remember um, at the end of my time in Thompson, uh, for a whole variety of reasons, uh, I, I chose not to pursue the CEO-ship of the whole corporation. I felt God was calling me to do something else. Another guy got the CEO-ship. He and I had two completely different ways of working. I was running about half the company for him, and after two years, he came to me and said, this is just not working. I want to run it this way. You're running it that way. And he was exactly right. You can't have two, you know, he had the captain's stripes, and I didn't, and he said, it's time for you to move on. I got fired. I tell you, that began in my life two of the hardest years of my life, because what it had done is it stripped my identity from me. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, well, who am I? You know, and it's interesting when you go to those cocktail parties and people say, well, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm kind of between assignments, you know, whatever you say. And you see, and you see people's eyes just kind of glaze over and go, who else can I talk to? You know, get me away from this loser. And many of us in this room have felt that, right? And that's the idolatrous nature of work. 
for men and, and, and increasingly women, by the way, because women often have idolatry around their children. In fact, you know, the good friends of mine, when they're talking about uh, family uh, counseling, say men abandon their women to work, women abandon their husbands to children. And so there's an idolatrousness about that. It's not about who we are. It's not built on who we are, but it's about what we are doing. And, and the things of our life become who we are in the identification. Um, and, and, and that's the struggle that people have because I think if on the one hand you're thinking of work as utilitarian, if on the other hand you're thinking of work as idolatrous or somewhere in between, Work is not particularly meaningful because none of those things are going to bring satisfaction. None of those things are going to bring meaning. None of those things get you out of bed in the morning to sort of say, here I go. Long term. Short term they may, but long term they don't. So what I want to talk about this morning is we as Christians have a problem in the workplace. Our fellows have a problem in the workplace. Let's begin to describe those problems. Let's put them on the table today, and then over the course of the next four days, let's start to talk about maybe a reorientation of our thought to work. Firstly, what does God want it to be? How should we do it? And all those things. And let's, let's reorient our life towards work over the course of this seminar, if we can do that. Tall order, but let's see. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that just for a few of you, you'll go away from this saying, I need to look at this the other way around. That's my prayer. So here I have four problems. I have a lot more than that, but with regard to work, there are four problems I want to talk about. The first problem I want to talk about is I believe that today in the Christian world in the United States in particular, in the Western world generally, we have a non-holistic view of a Christian life. I think if you spend most of your time at church talking of other Christians, there are two things that we focus on. Number one, I would describe as personal holiness. And number two is evangelism. And I, by the way, I think those match perfectly with two of the major commandments that we find in the Bible, one of which is the great commandment, which Ravi talked about yesterday. Love the Lord your God with all heart, strength, heart mind, strength, and soul. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, that as yourself is a very inconvenient phraseology, and we'll come back to that. And the second one, evangelism, obviously comes down to the Great Commission. Two of the great mandates in the Bible. Love God, love your neighbor, go into a whole world and reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in many ways, this is, where I, this is where you see ethics, this is where you see integrity, all of those kinds of things reflect, reflecting the Great Commandment, and the Great Commission, obviously, is where you find evangelism. Well, there's a third great mandate in the Bible. It's, it's called many things, but I'm going to call it the cultural mandate. And actually, in some ways, it predates in the Bible both of the other Great Commandments. You find it initially in Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28 basically says, go forth, multiply, be fruitful, rule the earth, everything is un under your dominion. In the first chapter of Genesis, God is already saying to man, this is my purpose for you. My purpose for you is I want you to work. I want you to do some things in this creation that I've given you. 
And by the way, if we think about the cultural mandate as how we think about and how we work and how we serve God's creation, I think it becomes very clear to see that if all we focus on here is this is a sort of more pietistic, it's a more religious side of things. Don't get me wrong, these are wonderful commandments and commissions. I mean, we need to do that. But if we're focusing all of our time and attention over here, and we're missing what God has called us to do in our natural holistic lives here in this world, then there's a whole part of our life that we're just missing. And I would argue, and again, I'm a great believer in church. I've been an elder of a church for many, many years. Uh, I believe that church is God, the bride of Christ. So I'm a big church person. I am, I'm not trying to say, the end, you know, forget church, we need to circumvent it. I'm a big church person. But on average, the church does not spend very much time talking about the cultural mandate. And so we have this kind of one side to our body. It's like a, I don't know, a Tour de France cyclist. We've got these huge legs and these tiny little arms, kind of like Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? Or, but what we really need, I think, is God wants us to have, you know, not quite the Schwarzenegger top as well, but, I mean, he wants us to have a well-balanced life. And the interesting thing when you think about that, if you begin to think about how do you love others as yourself, one of the most important ways that we think about loving others is to think about how can we provide, how can we bring them into healthy relationships, how can we bring them into workplaces, how can we provide for them. That doesn't come out of the Great Commission, it doesn't come out of the Great Commandment, it comes out of the cultural mandate. If we're talking about the Great Commission, bringing people to Jesus, one of the ways that we bring people to Jesus is by being in the workplace and by showing and demonstrating a way of living and a way of loving that is a sort of a First Peter 3.15 moment where people say, what if you, you know, we're, going, we're doing a downsizing and you're smiling. What's going on? It leads people to want to know what you've got to give the answer for the hope that lies within. And so, and in all of these ways, I think these things work together. And I think our problem is too much, we have just gone and basically through, we've cut these away from this, and we aren't holistic in the way we think about things. And one of the things I want you to go away with this week is thinking about, you're a holistic Christian, there are three great commandments and the three great mandates in the Bible, all of which are valuable. By the way, this is the number one. I'm in no way trying to elevate the the cultural mandate to be number one. This is where it starts. And these are outgrowths of that. But as we'll see, there's a very specific commands that God has given us around this that we can't overlook, just as he's given us a very specific command in the Great Commission. So I think that's the first problem that we see. We are We're looking at the Christian life in a non-holistic way, and we've got to think about these three mandates holistically. I think the second uh, thing that I see, which is an issue, is Scripture itself. Well, you're going to say, oh, this guy's dangerous. Scripture's a problem? No, not a problem. But if I was to say to you, what does Scripture say about marriage? You could probably come back to me in, I don't know, five, ten minutes, some of you could probably put your hand up right now, and come back with six or seven or eight passages, two or three verses each passage. You know, you'd start in Genesis, right, and talk about for this, man, you know, 
you know, the woman would leave parents and cleave to man, form a union, and this, that, and you. You go to 1 Corinthians 7. You'd go, I mean, there's a f- series of passages you go to and say, okay, within about 10 minutes, I've got six or seven passages for you. That's pretty much marriage. If I said to you, what does the Bible say about work? What would you say? Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 is, I think, in my own unscientific program, it's 95% of the time a Christian audience would be asked about work would say Colossians 3.23, right? Now, let me ask that question. Is that what the Bible says about work? It's part of what the Bible says about work, but can I just put Colossians 3.23 up on the board here and say we're done, we can spend the next four hours just at the beach? No. The problem is there are no, you know, and then people come to me and say, well, what about Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes is a great book on work. Have you actually really tried to work through what Ecclesiastes says about work? Ecclesiastes itself is very conflicting. On the one hand, it says that work is a gift of God and the ability to enjoy it is a gift of God. And on the other hand, it says it's toil and meaningless. Well, wait a minute. So, you know, do I send someone off into Ecclesiastes? By the way, on the uh, Theology of Work Project, we spent a year or more on, the, uh, on Ecclesiastes. I think the work, if you went to our website and you just looked up the book of Ecclesiastes and read the sort of 12 pages, I think our document is that we have about a 12-page document on Ecclesiastes. I think it does a wonderful job. You can reconcile these things, by the way, <laughs> as you would expect, given that's God's wisdom. But it takes a lot of work to figure that out, and it doesn't necessarily give you a theology of work. The reality is that work, unlike a lot of other theological or doctrinal issues, is, uh, is woven throughout Scripture. It starts in Genesis 1.1, and it works all the way through. It's, it works through Scripture all the way through that. So part of the problem with work is... You can't suddenly say, well, here are the scriptures that talk about work. We now understand what we've got to do. We've got clear marching orders. Let's go ahead and do it. It's in here, but it's deeply embedded and sometimes difficult to understand. So, for example, if you go to Matthew and you look at the parable of the vineyard owner, the one that we're all very familiar with, where he goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning and he hires vineyard workers and he says, I'll give you a denarius. And then he goes back an hour or so later, and he keeps going back through the day, as you remember, and he goes for the last folks at the 11th hour, brings them in, and he says, well, pay them first, and everybody gets a denarius. And you remember the people who've worked 12 hours are kind of like this. They're in the uh, workers' toil category, right? The, uh, the other guys are in the workers' passion. This is great. One, one, hour, for a, one hour for a denarius. This is super. But... You know, the question is, that's a workplace example, but what does it help us think about work? Oh, does that mean everybody should get the same pay no matter what work they do? How long will work's last organizations exist if that happens? Well, it's a work example, but actually you have to go back and look at it, and it says at the top of the parable, as many of you know, the kingdom of God is like. It's actually not a work example at all. It's an example of work to give a truism about the kingdom, which is even if you come in on the 11th or 12th hour, you're still part of the kingdom. Even if you come as a child, you're part of the kingdom, and the reward you get is equal. You're in the kingdom. Now, there are rewards in heaven, but as a point. So you can look at that and say, hey, this is a, this is a, this is a work example, 
but it's really not a work example. So even the things you think in the Bible might be about work are not about work. And you have to work through those kinds of things. Very complex. So that's the second question, or the second problem, I think, is that Scripture is not simplistic on this. We can't go to seminal passages. We can't work out 10 or 15 passages and say, that's it, I got the theology of work. I know exactly what I need to do. All I need to do now is put it in practice. By the way, there are not many passages on marriage, and we can easily put, but we frankly don't do a very good job of putting that in practice either. So just because it's easy doesn't mean we'll do a good job of putting it in practice, but that's, a, that's an aside. So that's the second thing, Scripture. The third problem, I think, is that we have this thing that takes place in Genesis 3 called the fall and the introduction of sin. And as we talked about earlier, when people talked about work, one of the answers was toil. And uh, I think one of the questions that we have to answer is, what happened to work at the fall? Now, I go to Uganda, and I'll come back and talk about that in a minute, but I go to the West Nile region of Uganda, which is way up on the Congolese-Sudanese border to do a lot of um, economic development work with people who, if they have a dollar today to live on, they're doing well. And uh, when I first got there many years ago, I, uh, I was going to give a seminar or a, a breakfast meeting to a series of uh, Ugandan business people. Now, that's kind of a euphemism when I say Uganda business people. I mean, it's a guy with a bike, a guy with a hand mill. I mean, just some really basic stuff. And it was put on by the church, the Church of Uganda. And um, I met with the, uh, uh, the head guy a couple of days before, and he said, now, what would you like me to talk about? Because I could talk about a wide range of things to do with work. And his comment was this, well, work is evil, money is evil, Christians should not be involved with evil things, so you've got to try and persuade us why we as Christians should be working. Okay? What we think drives what we do. And is there any surprise that in Arua, most Christians sat around not engaging in commerce. They would grow a little food, enough or sometimes enough to live off, but they wouldn't engage in the workplace and in the marketplace. Oh, by the way, who did engage in the workplace and the marketplace? The Muslims, who are about 30 to 40 percent of the population there, and control most of the means of the economy and all of those kinds of things. And by the way, who the way they work, work in a very unethical way, only convincing our Christian friends that work is evil and money is evil. I mean, you could see this self-perpetuating thing. So my work there in the last uh, seven years, a large part of it is not just been sitting with people helping them think about their business, but it's been changing the way they think about what the Bible says about work. Because I don't care how good your business idea is, if a, bi- if a Christian believes that work is evil, they should not be involved with it. So we have to think about this issue of the fall. And the question simply is, as a result of the fall, as a result of the fall, what happened to work? And I'd like to make the following statement uh, just to explain, I think, where I'm coming from. Firstly, as a result of the fall, uh, as a result of the fall, work became toilsome. It's very clear if you look at chapter 3, verses uh, 15 through 17, uh, 17 through 19, I'm sorry, 17 through 19. I mean, that's the nature. It's going to be toilsome. 
And it's kind of interesting because uh, if you go back into that whole passage where God deals with firstly with the serpent, then with the woman, then with the man, you know, he curses the serpent. He doesn't curse the woman, he doesn't curse the man. He just says that as a result of what you've done, things will change. And to the man in particular, he says, this is going to be hard work, it's going to be toilsome. This is just a personal view. I don't believe that God suddenly made work toilsome. I don't believe he changed the nature of work and sort of threw a curse and just changed the nature of work. I think instead what God knew is sin has now entered in. And now we're going to be working in an environment in which people are sinning, in which there is envy, in which there's strife, in which there's greed, in which there's, you know, fill in the blank. And that is going to make life hard. I used to say to Gail, I said, work would be easy if we didn't have employees or customers. Um, but, But that's, I think, the nature of the fall for work. God knew that because sin had now entered in, that nothing would be the same. And that what we were going to be and do would be now hard. And by the way, we're living that out today. So the workplace you're in is tainted by sin. And it's not just tainted. That sounds, that's, I mean, that's too nice a word, right? Tainted sounds like well, a little at the margin. It's, it's kind of mostly good with a little bit of... No, it's absolutely rotten all the way through with sin. And by the way, that's what makes the Christian opportunity, which will come to so much greater... Because if you work differently, the vision that other people will get of a Christian at work is going to be quite remarkable. You've got to put it against that backdrop of, you know, it's the onion, which is kind of rotten, and the more you take the layers off, hoping to get to that nice, white, crispy core, by the time you get to the middle, it's actually kind of just black mush. That's the workplace that we live in. That's why it's hard. Has work become in some way changed? Does God think about work differently? No. Let me... Work still has intrinsic value. Work is still good. Here's some passages to look at and think about those kinds of things. Firstly, and the first parallelism to look at is the, is, is the, is the passage on childbirth. You know, God says the childbirth is going to become painful. But I don't think God says childbirth is evil. It hasn't changed the nature. I mean, giving birth, I mean, God is still multiply, you know, be abundant, this, that, and the other. He's still blessing childbirth. He's just said it's going to become difficult. In the same way as he's not changing the nature of work, he's just saying it's going to be difficult. That's one, one thing to look at. Noah, through the flood in Genesis 7, 8, and then into 9, you know, when God has a chance to reset, kind of goes, that didn't go so well, let me flood it out and start again. He actually starts again, if you look at... Uh, uh, Genesis 9.1, he starts with the same cultural mandate. Go forth, multiply, be productive. He gives the family of Noah exactly the same admonition and, and the same challenge and the same call that he gave uh, Adam and Eve in that, first, in that first place. So even though he's reset, he still comes back and says, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this. Keep going with it. Joseph and there are many examples. I've just picked a few here. Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20, you remember when the brothers come back and he finally reveals who he is. And he says, uh, you know, you intended to, uh, to harm man, but God intended it for good. You remember that great passage? And then the next phrase is in, because we often finish at that point. 
The next phrase is important. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God actually had in mind that Joseph's work would lead to a very physical outcome, the saving of many lives. You remember he'd stored away the grain, there was famine everywhere, people were able to get the grain. He'd save many lives. It doesn't say in the Bible that they all became believers in God. You know, there probably was a spiritual component to that, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. The only thing the Bible tells us that is God used Joseph in his work to do something physical that was good for other people. And that's all the Bible tells us about that. There is a spiritual world. There's a physical world. They're together. God cares about both, not just one. Jesus, you know, when he's asked... uh, you know, by, the, by John's disciples, whether he's the Christ. How does he respond? He doesn't respond with a theological argument, if you remember. He responds with a physical argument. You know, people are seeing, people are hearing again, people are walking again. All of his physical manifestations of his power is what he points to. He points to the physical side. That work is good that he is doing. God delights in our work. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, God detests dishonest scales but he delights in accurate weights. You ever think about God delighting in your work? And we all know God's watching everything we do, say, think. You ever think that God delights in your work? That ought to be a challenge for us, but God delights in our work because it's good. It's intrinsically good, and when we do it well, the way we should do it, he delights. And finally, I've mentioned Ecclesiastes before, but 5.19 talks about work being a gift of God. God is unable to give bad gifts. He doesn't give evil gifts. He gives good gifts. It clearly says that work is that good gift. And as I said before, that, the, the, the issue of how you view work from a theological point of view leads to how you think about work and practice. And my Arua example, I think, is exactly there. Interestingly enough, we're at a very interesting time, and I don't have time to go into all of this. Uh, This would be a big sidebar. But I think we're in a very interesting debate in this country right now about how we think about work and how we think about how Western civilization has developed and where we're going to take it. It's very interesting right now. You'll find places like China, India, Brazil, and other places like that that I think are adopting the Western civilization, the Judeo-Christian basis of, 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 uh, of Western civilization in terms of means of production and how things get done and business and all the free market as- aspects that we have seen over the years. At the very time, I think we're debating the morality of that. It's kind of interesting. Now, they're trying to do it without the underpinning of morality. And I would argue you can't do both those. You, if you, the only way to have a free market is to have a moral overpaying. And I think it's very interesting. The Chinese, as I understand it, I haven't been able to confirm this, but I actually have had some people at places like Fuller Seminary understanding the Christian worldview and the Christian view of morality so that somehow they can take those aspects of morality to tie to the free market that they're putting in place so that they get the sort of morality and the free markets because they understand free markets alone won't work. Because ultimately, if you just have free markets without any restraint, you end up back in sin and greed and excesses that we sometimes see. So I think it's an interesting time for our country. But how you think about work from the Bible speaks directly, and I would love to see more Christians 
engaging in this debate about what kind of country we should be, what kind of economic society works, what works best for people, for the flourishing of people, rather than just what we hear typically from the Christian world is, well, if we just gave more away, everything would work. Let me tell you, as a person who's gone to Africa so many times and have seen over a trillion dollars spent against poverty in Africa over the last 40 years, it does not work. You give someone $100, they spend $100. When the $100 is gone, nothing has changed. Except they're kind of waiting for the other $100. You figure out someone who's working and say, how can I help you work? And maybe here's $100 by which you can buy some more rice that you could mill some more so that you can sell it in the market so you can buy some more rice so you can mill some more. That begins to work. And by the way, to me, that comes back to the second part of the great commandment, loving our neighbor. If I'm in trouble, do I really want someone to say on the phone, I'll pray for you, click? Nice. But, do I want someone to come to me and say, here's $100? Nice, but. If I'm really being honest with myself, when I say, how would I love myself, someone else as myself, I come alongside them and I say, how can I help you get back on the road? How can I help you do the things you're going to do so you can become self-sustainable and get out of this issue long-term? And we need to see that in this country. All right, let me get off my political broadcast uh, thing there. That's the third problem. So the first problem was living a non-holistic life. The second problem is Scripture itself is obscure on all of these kinds of things. No seminal passages. The third thing is we have the problem of the fall and what happens to work. Intrinsically, work remains valuable. And then I think the fourth problem, you may not want to hear this, but I think the fourth problem is us. It's us. We go to work to get things for us. We take self, a self-centric view of work. When we're dissatisfied with work, what we're really saying is, I'm not getting what I wanted out of it. You know, when we go, we go to see what we can get. We go and we worry about our promotions. We worry about our funding. We worry about what our compensation is going to be. And um, it's, it's really about us. And by the way, I... Many times I think you'll see that in marriages. Many times you'll see that in churches. You know, how many people do I talk to about church experience? It's about what did I get out of the church, you know, when I went on Sunday morning versus what can I provide when I go to church and how can I become part of a community that brings the gifts and skills I've got to be part of that community. So uh, a lot of it is about us. And by the way, when you think about those ways I, I talked about life, that continuum, utilitarian, utilitarian is about us, right? It's just so I can get something so I can do something I want. Idolatrous is about us. It's about my definition of who I am. It's so that I can be regarded well. It's so that I can have status. It feeds my pride, my ego. It's about us. So that's, those I think are the problems. And I, what I want to talk about over the coming days is how do we think about a different way maybe of looking at this so that we can actually not be part of the problem but the old statement but be part of the solution Uh, what might it look like if we have millions and millions hundreds of millions of Christians get it right in the workplace I really believe we could transform the world and I want to talk about that over these coming days Uh, I want to give you a vignette I want to give my daughter a shout out who I love dearly as you'll be able to tell I had a conversation with her about uh, about a year ago now, I think. And uh, she'd moved up to Hartford, Connecticut with her new husband. Uh, she is an uh, ophthalmic technician. 
So she's the one that you know, puts those funny things on your face and up one, down one, better not, and she does all that horrible kind of torture to your eyes, you know, things touching it and blowing on it and all those kinds of things. So um, I'm sure she'd love me to describe her profession that way, but you know, she called me up and she said, Dad, I'm really having a hard time at work. I said, what's the problem? She said, it's horrible here. She said, the people are mean. She said, they talk to each other. You wouldn't believe what they say. And she said, this morning, one woman came up. She said, you're not, you're not going to last here long. You're too nice. And she said, so I'm going to look for something else. I'm moving on. I've got to find something else. I said to her, well, I said, you know, hon, one of the things I'd observe about you is you've got an amazing gift. And she just lights up a room wherever she goes. She's got a gift of encouragement, just sweet personality. I said, you know, my observation of you is that's how God's gifted you. You can turn hurting people around. You can touch people. I said, is it possible that God has put you in this place to do exactly that? She said, I hate it when you talk that way, Dad, because I have to think of it. <laughs> so anyway, she, she rang off and... About a week or two later, she said, and she was so excited, and it was so fun, and, and occasionally Dad's advice works, right? Not that, not that often, but occasionally. She said, Dad, you wouldn't believe what's happening. She said, I took your advice. I prayed about it. She said, I went in to, to talk to people and to gather the people that were downtrodden, to be with them, spend time, have lunch with them, encourage them. And the, She said, you wouldn't happen what happened today, but the head of HR called me in and said, okay, tell me what's going on, and how can we continue to, because we, we see the differences taking place. In this, in this little organization. You know, it's got like, I don't know, six or seven doctors and you know, maybe 20, 25 t technicians and staff and this, that, and the other. 30, 40 people. It's not a big place, but it's where God had put it. She's still there today. It'll be a year later. Still issues there. You know, not, you know they don't have revival meetings at lunchtime. <laughs> uh, there's still people who behave badly. But interestingly enough, they're beginning to be moved away and moved out and isolated. And there's a spirit now that's beginning to build. The doctors are talking about it. Uh, soon the patients will see the difference. And all of a sudden, that will become a place where good people want to go work. And it'll become a healthy place. Now, there was a young lady who just said, Dad, I've had it. This place stinks. And yet, she was able to bring something. and She was able to, to be where, just where God put her, using the gifts that she'd been given to begin to make a change. And I think if everybody just thought about that as Christians to say, where has God put me? How am I gifted? What can I do to change this thing around? I think we'd see some remarkable things happening. And that's kind of what I want to talk about for the rest of the week. I want to talk firstly about what's God's vision for work. Can we actually look into the scriptures and can we begin to pull some scriptures out here that give us a pretty good sense of what God's vision for work is? What is his design for it? Don't we want to know that? If I'm going to spend all these hours doing it, wouldn't it be nice to know what God says? That's the first thing we're going to do. Then we're going to look at, so if that's what God wants us to do, then how should we do it? That will be Wednesday. How should we work? Thursday, I want to talk about the output and the results that work. What, what happens as a result of those kinds of things? And on Friday, I didn't have a title, so I just called Getting It Right because I want to talk about a whole variety of things, and in particular of concepts, and one verse in particular that I think really helps us kind of capsulate, and I hope 
change our mind about uh, what we should do in the, in the workplace. And I'll also do a little demonstration of the website theologyofwork.org for you because I think you'll find it an incredible resource. And I'll spend five, ten minutes on that as well. So that's the plan. Let me, let me make a, a caveat. Um, I don't have all the answers. You've probably noticed that already. Um, this is such a vast topic. Not only could I not do it if, even if I had all the answers in five days because it's so vast, but what I'm hoping is this is a conversation that begins to stimulate thought and conversation, exploration. And I'm, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will do that in your lives. So that's the first thing I want to say. Secondly, you'll have picked up a piece of paper on the way in. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's an introduction there which pretty much explains it. I'm often asked by business. You know, business people, we like to work in bullet points, PowerPoint slides, bullet points. Okay, all this theology of stuff, give it to me in 10 bullet points. I mean, what, you know, what does the Bible say in 10 bullet points and get it on one piece of paper? Um, it's impossible to do that. But this is a little effort that I've made over the years to try and um, give you 10 points uh, about how I think God thinks about work. And um, if, you, if you never come back to the seminar this week, at least take this with you and, and, and think about it. I, but I'd love that you come back and we can talk more about these because I can go into this in much greater detail. So each day I will have, uh, I, I hope, I'll have just sort of the outline of the, today was just an outline day, but uh, each day I'll also have outline notes for you so you can get the scriptures and some of the key points so that you'll have that as takeaway. So that's what we're planning on doing. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, I've got time for a couple of questions, if anybody has questions. Yes, sir? Uh, start with uh, Genesis one twenty-eight, And then you could go to, uh, then you could go to Genesis 9.1, uh, which is the repeat of it. 9.1 and 9.7, I think, that comes after the, uh, the, the flood. It's sort of the reset. Yes, sir? Yeah. You know, I don't know if people heard that there was sort of a, this gentleman talked about uh, the second part was pushing all kinds of non-Christian policies like homosexuality in the workplace, also getting paid to do something that's only part of your capability. And and, and, yeah, I mean, look, uh, right up front, let's say the workplace is a difficult place. It's not an easy place. It is hard. We have to understand those things. One of the things I think we have to go back and understand later is, you know, has God placed us there? And how does that match our gifting? Do we have a release to leave it? (laughs) Because God might, I mean, my daughter, God might want her her there even though she doesn't really want to be there. And we have to get that release. And I think the other thing is, look, I think one of the dangers as a Christian community is when we see something we don't like, we retreat from it. And we want to get into our little holy huddle because we know it's kind of okay around here. But actually, I think what God's calling us to do is to get out there in the middle of that, even if there are some policies in the organization which you don't believe in, where else are we going to have the ability to talk and communicate and argue those kinds of things? So I'm, I'm very much an engagement person. I mean, it's just where I come from. I, I just think in the academy, for example, I have this, uh, this great fortune to have been involved with the King's College in New York City for the last 13 years. And... Um, you know, Christian higher education over the last 50 or 60 years has basically gone on retreat. I mean, it's pulled back. Uh, I mean, the great thinkers are no longer in the Christian schools. I mean, they're, they're isolated in rural areas. Uh, graduates are having difficulty getting jobs now because they're not seen to be, you know, 
uh, grounded in having had great internships in cities like you know, Pittsburgh or Boston or wherever, uh, New York, etc. So I, I think we've done ourselves a great disservice by stepping back. I think we've got to step back in again. Now that's going to mean difficulty. And the, the, market, the workplace is a wonderful place for Christians to step forward. And the thing that I would say is very interesting is, um, and, and this will be my finish because you need to get for lunch, but you know, we sometimes feel isolated in the workplace. But actually, natural law exists, and most people have a good sense of natural law. Very few people want to go into a workplace that has a, na- that has a mission statement that says, we want to cheat, steal, and lie. I mean, everybody wants to do what's right in a way, because everybody ha- we still have the remnant of natural law. We still have the remnant of biblical teaching. And I think one of the things for us to do is to build on top of that with the ideas that we have and the way we work. We'll be- and we'll talk more about that, but that's a... These are not, there, there are no panaceas here. This is tough. But front line, that's where I think God has us. So anyway, thank you so much, and we'll see you hopefully tomorrow. That was Andy Mills on The Problem of Work. If you would like to find out more about how bringing your faith to work can change your life, visit theologyofwork.org. Join us for the next podcast, which will feature Andy Mills' second talk in the series, God's Vision for